This morning's passage comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, And if you're able, let's read in one voice together. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. We're going through a sermon series on Philippians, pouring out of abundance, and today the topic is abundance through unity. Our cup of joy is filled to the brim and overflows when we experience unity. When there are cracks in our relationships, joy leaks. Whether it's in the family context, whether it's in the church context, whether it's in the friendship context, if we live in harmonious relationship with one another, joy abounds. The flip side is if there is a breakdown in relationship, disunity, disharmony, joy will leak and leak out. That's why Paul talks a lot about being united in Christ, like today's passage. Jesus, before he went to the cross, his prayer in John 17, which goes after the heart of Jesus, and it's just before he died, he prays, and he prays specifically for unity, that they may be one, the disciples of Jesus may be one as The Father and the Son are one. Our experience, however, is that uh, keeping that unity 
just between a husband and, and wife, let alone family, extended family, and church with hundreds of different people with different opinions and thoughts and preferences, it ain't easy. It's a challenge. No wonder the Bible talks so much about unity. So there's no joy in, without unity, but there is joy, and joy is completed with unity. So the question is, how do we experience abundance of joy that comes through unity? From today's passage, we see at least three things. Number one, our cup of joy fills to the brim when we strive together, not against one another, not competing against, against one another, but against the common enemy. Look at verses 17 to 28 in Philippians chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not be frightened in anything by your opponents. So Paul and Philippians, their situation is that there's a struggle, there is, there is persecution, there's conflict externally because people are opposed to the gospel that Paul and Philippians are believing in and praying. And Paul is encouraging the church through his letter to stand firm in your faith. Be united. Be fearless. Strive together side by side against the common enemy, your opponent. We need to pray for what's happening in the Middle East. Politically complex, I'm not taking any sides here, but just as an illustration, we hear, we heard that the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and his chief political rival formed emergency unity government in order to focus on their war efforts. Again, I'm not supporting what they're doing, but it's an illustration. They formed an emergency unity government because they have a common enemy to fight against Hamas. The two rivals, the two political leaders of Israel, they trump all the differences between the two and the two parties and they choose to work together because at the end of the day, it's one nation. Their difference is yes. And they come to recognize, oh my goodness, ultimately we're not, we're not enemy to each other. The, the enemy is out there. Now that, that's, that's, a, that's a national big scale. Now bring it down to the, a personal, a smaller scale. I've had my wife remind me many times, telling me, honey, we are in the same team. Whatever the context may be, usually it's in the parenting context. We have differences. We are in the same team. We don't need to fight. We're trying to do things together for a common purpose. Do you know 
brothers and sisters, that we are at war and we have a common enemy. And the common enemy is not, let me be clear, is not your spouse, okay? It's not your children. It's not your pastor. I'm not your enemy. If you're thinking that way, please. It's not your fellow member at this church. It's the devil. Can we turn to one another? Tell each other, you are not my enemy. Okay. It's awkward. Yes, it's awkward, especially between husband and wife. Tell your husband or wife or family member or your friend, you are not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. Please do that, yeah? I'm not your enemy. We have a common enemy. It's not me. It's not you. It's not our children. It's not our parents. It's not our in-laws. It's not our church leaders. Our common enemy is the devil. Now, when we forget, listen, when we forget that the devil is our real and common enemy, we pick wrong fights. And we spend so much time, so much energy fighting wrong battles. It happens every day, everywhere, including our families. I mean, the devil in Genesis 3 comes to divide Adam and Eve, divide their relationship from God. Devil is divider. By definition, diabolos in Greek literally means divide. That's the identity of the devil. Jesus is a unifier. He is the peace. He's the peacemaker. He's a unifier. Your spouse is not your enemy. The fellow members of this church is not your enemy. But you know what? Because we forget that reality, we have allowed the enemy to wreak havoc in our families, in many churches, because we have not identified our common enemy and picked the right fight to fight against together. Not against each other. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord, brothers and sisters, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for our fight. We do not wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, like people sitting next to you, people who are living with you, people who are serving with you, working with you. They're not your enemies. We're not to wrestle against each other, but against the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, the devil divides. Jesus brings together. Ephesians 2, Jesus, he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new humanity. Church is a one new society, humanity, This is what it means to be human, to be united with God, to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to one another in place of the two, so making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That's why he died. His enemy was the devil who divided our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. He went to the cross to accomplish that. That was his mission, to kill the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who are far and near. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of peace. That's why whenever Paul begins his letter, grace and peace to you. Unity, harmony is absolutely necessary evidence of the gospel at work in our relationships. That's why a divided church can never be on mission. Being united is ontologically, by its being, missional. Without being united, we are just doing infights, competitions. We cannot do anything outside of us to serve other people. It's so, so, so important. Unity is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, but also for the gospel. That's why Paul says, Please, brothers and sisters, let your manner be worthy of the gospel. How? By standing firm in one spirit and in, in one mind, striving together side by side for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel, to be faithful to the gospel message. So if we have the common enemy, the devil, who threatens unity, threatens to discount the worth of the gospel. <clears throat> it's so important that we don't pick wrong fights. We pick the right fight to fight together for the gospel side by side. Never alone, side by side. Look at this. Look at the verse. With one mind, striving together, side by side. Some of you live Christian life, fight the spiritual warfare alone. You're making major decisions for your life alone. I'm concerned. You're not meant to. You're not supposed to. This life that we are called to live, worthy of the gospel, we need each other. I know post-COVID, there have been many people floating around in terms of church. Even this week, I was talking to a friend who knows a lot of people in Toronto, and churches have shut down for different reasons. And they just visit this church this month and go to church once a week or once a month. Three, three weeks, three Sundays of the year, you know, online service or whatever. Just once a month, but then they just float. And some people have been done it for like five years, three years, one year, floating around. If, if you are listening or online or here, you, you, need, you need someone to strive together with you, together, side by side. So that when the enemy pushes you, if you're standing alone, 
And when you're not doing well, you're going to just fall. And it's, it's going to be hard to get back up if you're alone. But if our arms are locked together, standing together, when the enemy try to push you, you may almost fall, but there are people supporting you. That's why being part of a small group is so important if you're not. If you haven't signed up, miss the, miss the opportunity, talk to me. You need to be fighting together side by side for your marriage, for your relationship, for your spiritual well-being. Number two, it's not just about fighting together against the common enemy. We need to grow together to have this humble mindset. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible for a church that believes in the gospel of peace and follow the prince of peace, Jesus Christ, and still practically break peace and harmony in relationships, in our homes, and in our church? Is it possible that we believe the gospel of peace, we, we follow the prince of peace, but we practically live as ones who actually break down the peace? Is it possible? It's a real question. Let me ask you another question. Is it possible for a leader of a church, like our church, and serve for the cause of the gospel, and yet the two leaders are not talking to each other? Is it possible? Regrettably, it is possible. And we actually see that in this book that talks a lot about joy. <laughs> when you go to chapter four, we'll come to that later next month, Paul says this, I entreat you, Yodia, and I entreat you, Sentaki, two godly woman leaders in the Philippian church, to agree, very same word that we see in chapter one and chapter two, to have the same mind, literally, that's what it means, to think the same, to have the same mindset. Verse three says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. They're not talking to each other. But you know what, who they are? They labored with me, Paul says, side by side. It's a very same word in chapter one, verse 27, striving together side by side. Woo! In the gospel. Is it possible to follow Jesus, the Prince of Peace, believe in the gospel of peace, and not talk to each other at church? You betcha. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it's happening now. Someone like Francis Chan, I'm not going to go there, never mind. Yeah, he talked about church and unity. Important voice in our generation. And that is weighing Paul down so much. This book is all about joy, yes, a lot of joy. Paul is rejoicing in Christ, and Philippians are Paul's joy and his crown. But we see that there's something very heavy in Paul's heart. 
it has to do with disunity, disharmony, tension in the church, especially in the leadership. And so Paul says in verse 2, chapter 2, well, let's read from verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, you betcha there is an encouragement in Christ, and the church knows that. Church have experienced that. They believe in Jesus. Well, I know you do, yeah. Any comfort from love, you have been comforted by the love of God in the midst of your suffering. Yeah, you have that. And there's a participation, fellowship, koinonia in the Spirit. The Spirit is in your midst, and you have this fellowship in your church gathering, affection and sympathy. Splatna, that's a compassion, that's a bowl. It's like there's a deep love of God that is experienced in you in sympathy. You have that. But then Paul says, Please complete my joy. There is joy, but there are cracks in that cup of joy. And I see it leaking. And I want to make sure that I, I mend that. I, don't, I want to make it whole. But you know how to do that? By being of the same mind. having the same love, being in full accord, literally in, Greek, in the original language, one-souled. It's like husband and wife being united. One, you cannot separate it. It's like you're glued together. Man, that's a high calling. Can you imagine your marriage living this verse out? Your family life. That's the picture of your family. That's a picture of your life group. That's a picture of the, the college ministry, the young adult ministry, the, the leadership team, this church. We call that God's kingdom has arrived. Heaven on earth. And we're thinking, how do we how do we do that? Because like, same mind, full accord, it sounds all good, but man, when we have 100 people, we have 100 different opinions. We all just take one class together, like one good discipleship class. Well, Paul's answer is not that, per se, after saying that, this is what he says in verse 3. Do nothing. Absolutely nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Literally vain glory. Empty glory. But in humility, that's the key word. In humility. And he, he, he expands on this idea of humility here and below. Count others more significant or important, literally above you. Let each of you look not only to his or her own thing, 
in the original text, it doesn't have the word interest. It's basically his or her thing. What thing? It could be interest, it could be need, it could be preference, it could be whatever. But whatever the thing is, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests or need or preference of others. And I would say that captures the idea of humble mindset, humility that leads to unity. So what does it mean to be humble? I mean, in this text, I see two things. Number one, reject all forms of self-seeking, all forms of using other people to your own advantage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition that leads to contention, competition, envy, strife, eventually destroying the relationship and community. If you have this mindset of, I deserve more than this. You can't treat me like this. I'm better than that. Come on. I cannot accept that. If we bring to the table, where's my privilege? Where's my right? This, the sense of entitlement. Then we will have a hard time achieving unity. Because those two, empty glory or conceit and self, selfish ambition are anti-gospel values. Basically, it's all about me, right? So reject all forms of me-centered mindset. Number two, the flip side is regard one another as more important than yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Think of other people higher, more significant, more important than yourselves. So what, what does that mean practically? When I have relationship with people, I need to think, and this question goes all the way back to Genesis 2, one woman being help, helper, this concept of we are to help each other. We are to serve one another. So you, you ask this question, how can I help you? How can I serve you, mom? How can I serve you, dad? Honey, how can I serve you? Pastor, how can I serve you? To members, how can I serve you? Now, if, if that's the, the question that we ask in our families, in our small groups, in our mission team, in our church, how can I serve you? Not how can you serve me better? How can I serve you? You. Now that's, that's gonna change the whole dynamic, whole atmosphere. You know, recently I hear young people using the word trash a lot to refer to things events, but also people. He's so trash. She's so trash. Am I home? I heard that from one of my boys. 
And I'm like, dude, stop it. I don't want to hear that word trash in my family. Especially if it's not referring to the actual garbage trash. You can use that word. But to people, you use that word to refer to people who are created in God's image? Doesn't matter who that person is. Never in my family. Never. It really bothers me. If, if you call someone a trash, that's wrong. <laughs> This morning I was doing a devo from Psalm 103. Bible does, does talk about how we are dust. You can call somebody, he's such a dust. Or he talks about grass. He's such a grass. He's going to fade away. Or you can say, she's such a flower. Because like flower, her beauty will also fade away. I'm just being biblical here. Brothers and sisters, jokes aside, I think it grieves God's heart if we mistreat one another. We need to fear God. I'm, I'm preaching to myself more than anybody here, but get my point. Treat one another with respect in your marriage. Watch what you say to each other about other people when that person's not even there. In your families, in our churches, we cannot allow certain words to come out of our mouth. Honestly, it may be in your thought, but you know what? What you do as followers of Jesus, you submit that thought under the throne of Jesus, and you refuse to use that word. That's discipleship. That's discipline. Just to make sure that we understand what it means to count others more significant than our own, Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own or her own interest, in verse 4, but to the interest of others. Message version, don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's true love. Love begins, someone said, when someone else's need, not your need, my sexual need, my recognition need, my financial need, my health need. No, when someone else's need, your spouse, children, your parents, your member, your leader, someone else's needs are more important than my own. Again, can you imagine our family living that out Our church living this vision out. Man, that's heaven on earth. But that's exactly why Jesus came to die. That's exactly why Jesus came. He said, the kingdom of God, heaven is here. 
I've come to accomplish that. Establish my kingdom. You know my, 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 what my kingdom's like? Let me show you what it's like. And then he dies. This is what God's kingdom is like. Dying to your own self-interest for the sake of others. Just to give you an example. I mean, if you th- you gotta, we got to be thinking about that. Like, how do I apply this in my, in my life today, in my family, in my church? Now, many of the small groups are starting off today and onward. How does that apply in my small group? You know what? If your small group apply this one by one by one by one, everybody, it's going to be heaven on earth. It's going to be the church that God envisions and for which Christ died. We've got to practice this. So today, for instance, after the service, when you go to the fellowship hall, instead of looking for who's there that I can hang out with so that I can be more comfortable, you're looking for someone who's sitting alone. You look for the person who's sitting alone. There are people sitting alone in the fellowship hall. They've made an effort to go there, to sit alone on Sunday at church. A lot of us just neglect that reality. And today, God is challenging us. Just go to them. I know if you're introvert, it's like so awkward. Let me give you words to say, hello. (laughs) My name is so-and-so. Who are you? I I would love to get to know you. Even pray together. Oh my goodness, that'd be amazing. India Missions team. We have nine people. I heard two from Uptown Grace and Christina's also here. Take an interest of why they're going to India. Each table will have some, I think, prayer letter. To build bridge, they're going. They need more than financial need, but they need also financial support too. They need prayers. Take an interest. Buy chai tea and enjoy samosa, but like, hear their story. Like, why do you want to go? At least one person. Man, if we do that, and not just leaders, not just a few of us. Look at Paul in verse 4. Let each of you. Paul's very meticulous. Just to make sure, don't think that I'm just talking about Yuri and Syntyche, the two leaders. I'm not just talking about elders and deacons or life group leaders. No, no. All of you, all hands on deck, every single one of you, to think this way, to live this way. Now that's going to change our church, our families. And we're going to, and collectively, and that's what the Christianity, the church did in the early days. Just turn the, up, the world upside down. The Roman government was like, what is this thing called church? The followers of Jesus just driving us nuts. That's crazy. They love each other like that. That's crazy. And we're all sitting down now thinking, Pastor, what you say is so true. 
It's in the Bible. But you know what? You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what he did to me. You, know, you don't know what, how he treated me. You don't know what, how she treated me. After all that disrespect and dishonor, you want me to respect and give honor and consider that person better than me and higher than me? Her need and his interest? Honestly, this week was a hard week for me. Meditating on this, I had to confess to my pastoral team, oh my goodness, I'm struggling. (laughs) I'm fighting inside. Because I'm like, where's my right? How come I'm not recognized for all that I've done? And now you're telling me to serve more? And you know what? Paul knows that. And God knows that. That's why Paul doesn't end with verse 4. He's like, I've told you, go and do it. He doesn't do that. He knows that we need source for that kind of a humble mindset that is way, way above and beyond us. So he continues, brothers and sisters, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. NIV, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what is the mindset of Christ Jesus? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... This is who Jesus is. Though he was in the form of God, he was by very nature God, but he did not count or consider or think, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited or to take advantage of. Jesus completely and absolutely rejected all selfish ambition and all vain glory or conceit. Jesus completely, fully regarded others' interest, need more than his own. Jesus' ambition His only ambition was to see God the Father being glorified and sinners, you and me, to be forgiven and to be restored to the fullness of life and joy. And Jesus showed what it means to have the humble mindset. So have this mind among yourselves, brothers and sisters, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with with God a thing to be grasped or exploited or taken advantage of, but he emptied or poured out himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, 
he came and said, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And he washed the feet of, Jesus, feet of his disciples, his friends. But he didn't just stop at washing his disciples' feet. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself so that he can regard us higher than him. My goodness, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We, we, we sang a song, the third song, Behold a Lamb. And it has a lyric that says, we cursed him when he died on the cross. None of us shaped up and lived a good life and we honored, wanted to thank Jesus. And then Jesus died. Well, well, since you, you know, have some appreciation of me and, yeah, you know what, I think I'm, I'm going to die for you. No, when we were yet sinners, our turn, we, we turned our back against him. When and while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. We had no respect for him, no honor for him, but Jesus did not wait until we shape up, until we thank him. He did it first. That's Jesus. And so God, highly exalted Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You know what, I wanna land with this image. So in order for us to have unity that leads to abundance of joy and life, we need to recognize that we, we have this common enemy to fight. Yes, so don't waste your life and time and energy fighting wrong fights. That's good. Okay, we have to have the humble mindset towards one another. But we come to recognize, man, that's hard. It is hard. It's only possible when we are saturated with the mind of Christ and as we actually think about who Jesus is, and this is, this is my image, I'm kneeling down. I'm already kneeling. And then this is a posture of my life, of your life, at home. You're not doing this. You're not doing. Everyone in your family, in our church, is worshiping Jesus. And with this posture, we build our marriage, we do parenting, we do ministry, we do missions. Only when we kneel before Jesus, ultimately, there'll be unity. And through that, there'll be abundance of joy. Let's pray. I'm gonna give you some time to respond in prayer I try to, try to have a shorter message, but here we go. But then we still have some time to sing response song. 
which really is an articulation and expression of this very verse that, that I try to explain, verses 5 to 11. But before we sing, I want us to respond in prayer. If you need to repent, repentance begins by thinking differently first and then choosing to do life differently. And we need to do that every day, realigning our minds and our hearts to think after the mind of Jesus Christ. So let's do that. To be renewed in our mind so that we can live truly, truly for Jesus. before you even now and I if you are able and if you want to as an expression a bodily expression a full expression of your submission to Jesus I invite you to kneel actually if you are able and if you want to and this is just an expression this is a commitment personally but also as a church moms and dads and the families kneel before Jesus and children follow that posture of humility wouldn't our families be restored if we as a church are saturated with the mindset of Jesus Christ so that when we interact with one another, we are thinking about others' need first. With this posture of kneeling and bowing before Jesus, wouldn't our church truly be a kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? So Father, forgive me, forgive us, for pursuing selfish ambition and vain glory, emptiness. Forgive us, O oh God. And will you help us, O oh God, to stand up to fight the real fight against the enemy who tries to divide our families, our church, our relationships. May we say no to that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend my life on that. Come on, I don't have time for that. I'm busy, not for self-ambition and vainglory. I'm, I'm busy. My ambition is to glorify God. So help us to die to ourselves like Christ has done for us. Help us to be saturated with the mind of Jesus Christ so that we may truly be people who are united for the sake of the gospel, 
for the sake of your glory, that somehow we will make a dent in this world as a church. Will you bless our India team as we are sending them this winter, hopefully, Father, that it's not just them going, but it's us going together. And God, have mercy on that land, Israel, Palestine, Gaza. Lord, may your peace come and reign. May the Prince of Peace come and rule over the nations. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with your people who are called to experience the abundance, abundance of joy through unity now and forevermore. Amen.